We're in Genesis chapter number 18, and I want you to look. We're really going to preach through the whole chapter, but I want you to look specifically, if you would, in verse number 17. Genesis chapter number 18. Look with me in verse number 17. The Bible says there, And the Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham that thing which I do? Seeing that Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. Notice verse number 19. For I know him, that he will command his children and his household after him, and they shall keep the way of the Lord to do justice and judgment, that the Lord may bring upon Abraham that which he hath spoken of him. I'd like to preach to you this morning a message that I've entitled, Father Abraham. Father Abraham. I remember as a young boy growing up here in this church learning the fun song, Father Abraham. Had many sons, and many sons had Father Abraham. And you remember that. It was full of wacky and crazy motions that you'd do. You'd start swinging your arms and your legs, and you'd nod your head, and you'd turn around, and you'd fall into your neighbor's lap, and all of those fun things that you would do when singing Father Abraham. I sometimes think we ought to try that in big church one of these days, you know, and have a little bit of fun in here. We always did that. I I think they did that for the children to sort of maybe get the wiggles out a little bit, so that maybe... Just maybe they'd sit a little bit more still during the preaching or during the teaching uh, of, the, uh, of the lesson that particular morning. But I remember singing that song, and I remember thinking to myself, that's the dumbest song on the planet. I mean, it's just silly, right? F- uh, basically, I said, Father Abraham, many sons, and many sons said, Father Abraham, and I am one of them, and so are you. But you know what? You know, if you, re- if you read your Bible, you study your Bible, you'll find that that's not a dumb song. In fact, he is Father Abraham, and those of us, those of us who believe in the Lord, those of us who have repented of our sin and we've placed our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, in a, in a sense, Abraham is our father. Listen to what the Bible says in Romans chapter number 4 and verse number 16. Therefore, it is of faith that it might be by grace. To the end, the promise might be sure to all the seed, not to that only which is of the law, or those that are Jews, but to that also which is of the faith of Abraham, listen, who is the father of us all. Now think about that for just a moment. Father Abraham. You know, I I think uh, as we consider Abraham's life, and we've studied it over these last several months, we've discovered that there is much good that we can say about this man. But because he is a human being, he's very similar to you and I, there are some very negative things that we can see and say about him as well. I believe that Genesis chapter 18 is such an important chapter because it gives us a glimpse into the home of this man, Father Abraham. We get a really good look from the very beginning of Genesis 18 all the way to the very end of this particular chapter as the type of person that Abraham was in his home. The chapter begins with him really resting on his front porch during the heat of the day. The middle of the chapter that we've just read gives us God's commentary or God's assessment of Abraham as a leader in his home. And the end of the chapter reveals Abraham's heart and concern for the family that he has that is no longer living inside of his home. But make no mistake about it, we get a, a tremendous glimpse of Father Abraham, the type of father, the type of man, the type of leader that he was in his home. You know, the most important person that you are anywhere in the world 
is the person that you are in your home. Uh, Let me perhaps say that once again. The most important person that you are anywhere in the world is the person, the man, the woman, the young person that you are in your home. When some think of us, perhaps maybe they, they think of us uh, when, we're, when we're in our office doing our work or our daily business. Others might think of us, and they think of us in a classroom, either as a learner or as a teacher. Uh, some might think of you in your position in the church. For me, standing behind this pulpit, for some others playing an instrument or singing, holding a book or, or, or giving or serving in some capacity. Or, or maybe, maybe when people think of you, they think of you enjoying some hobby. Maybe you're in this room this morning and you're known for your love of fishing on a lake somewhere or perhaps hiking in a state park or maybe taking a bowling ball and spinning it down the lane and, and, uh, and hitting, knocking down as many pins as you possibly can. Or maybe some, of, some people think of you uh, working in a garage or golfing on a golf course. But can I tell you the place where you and I will make our greatest impact is in our homes. That's where it's all about. It's our homes. Often those that we take for granted the most are those that we should treat the best and we should give our absolute best to. Well, Abraham was a a wealthy and a successful individual. His home, his home would be where he would make the greatest impact and the greatest contribution in this life. Now, here's a question I want to ask you this morning. What is your reputation in your home? What are you known for there? For many, they're, maybe they're known for their anger in their home. Maybe, as, maybe as, the, uh, as you're preparing to come home, your wife is getting the children ready. Now, Daddy's coming. Everybody be on your best behavior because you're known for your anger. And, and maybe, maybe, maybe there is a lot of stress and there is a lot of difficulty that you have to work through on a day-to-day basis. Uh, and, and when you come home, perhaps you carry those things with you into your home. Uh, perhaps maybe uh, it's, it's not necessarily your anger, but maybe, maybe you're known for your disinterest and just sort of being disengaged. Oh, you're, you're there, but you're not really there. You're in the room, but your mind is a million miles away, not really all that interested in what is happening in your home and in your, the lives of your family. Uh, how, how, about, how about this? Maybe, maybe your reputation in your home is, your, is the fact that you're, dis, uh, you're distanced from your home. In other words, maybe, maybe because of your work schedule, maybe because of your travel schedule, maybe when, when, when you're, so your wife, how's your husband? Well, I don't know, he's never around. He's never home, he's never here. He's busy. And listen, I'm all for being busy, but I just have to tell you, listen, if we really believe what we said at the beginning of this message, the greatest impact and the greatest contribution that you'll make in this life is in your home. If you're going to make that impact, and if you're going to make that contribution, you have to be there. You've got to be present. So maybe it's distance. Maybe that's the reputation. Maybe that's what people think about you. Listen, I'm not asking you, I'm not asking you this morning, what is your opinion? Uh, or what is the, uh, what is the, what, what, is, what is your self-assessment? That's not what I'm asking. I'm asking you, what is the opinion of your spouse? And what is the opinion of your children? What is the reputation that you have in your home according to them? And then we take it a step fi- further and we'd ask this question. Even more important than that, what is God's assessment of you in your home? Now, these are convicting thoughts. And I would imagine for most of us in this room, we can all discern some area where we ought to find and we ought to seek and we ought to work towards improvement. 
we learn, I believe, some critical things about Father Abraham in his home in our text. These ought, I believe that these things that are discerned about him, that are discovered about him in this text, ought to be present in every home as we who are believers are called the children of Abraham. In other words, in a sense, he becomes our example as he lived in his home, as he functioned in his home, specifically in the things that are positive, the things that are good, the things that are highlighted, that God praises those things you and I ought to strive for in our own daily lives. So let's, let's just begin this journey in this chapter. Notice in verses 1 to 9, we discuss over Abraham in his home. We see three specific things that Abraham is doing in his home. Three engagements or involvements that he is involved in. Notice number one, we discover as we open this chapter, we find that Abraham is protective of his home. Abraham is protective of his home. Look in verse number one of chapter number 18, would you? The Bible says, and the Lord appeared unto him in the plains of Mamre. Notice the next phrase. And he sat in the tent door, in the heat of the day. Now in this part of the world, the heat of the day was nearly unbearable. It was, it was not a time in which folks would be out in the field, folks would be out working, they would be planting seed, they would be you know, plowing a field, uh, this, they would not be cutting down wood or doing anything of any, typically any type of manual labor. No, not in the heat of the day, for it was, in the, it was fairly common for those living in this region to find a place to rest during the heat of the day. Perhaps maybe you've heard of Hispanic culture, that there are some places in which, you know, there's something known as a siesta, a, an afternoon nap. And I think probably most of us could say, I could get down with that, you know. I would enjoy a, a periodic afternoon nap. And I don't know that that's done everywhere in the Hispanic world, but I know that that, that is something that can, they can be known for. And a lot of times it's because of this very reason. The, the day gets so miserable, it gets so unbearable the further you get into the middle of the day or the heat of the day. And so this is essentially what Abraham is doing on this day when these heavenly visitors showed up. Now notice that Abraham's place of rest, the Bible says very carefully, the Bible tells us that he was, he was resting at the tent door. In other words, he was, essentially we could say that he was sitting on the front porch of his house. He was, he was there, he was, oh, he was, in a, he was in a state of rest, when it's obvious he's not resting to the point where he does not know when folks are coming near, when visitors are nearby, when guests are in the area. Rather than retreating to his bed or being completely out of sight somewhere and disengaged from what is happening in his home, Abraham is careful to take a posture of rest in a place that would have caused those who might wish to do something nefarious or evil to think twice. The, the, house, the house that gets robbed and stolen from usually isn't the house with, with a man sitting on the front porch, you know, on a, on a rocking chair somewhere watching the street and watching as, he's, as people move up and down the street. That's typically not a house that anyone is going to mess with. Why? Because, because it's obvious someone is standing watch, someone is, that is, is there. I remember when I was a boy, we used to go to visit my grandparents. They lived in Lima, Ohio, about two and a half hours from here. And my grandfather was sort of a, sort of a nervous type of a guy, you know? And, and, uh, and so he would, he would do different things to protect his home. And I remember one of the tricks that he had is he would always turn on the radio before we would leave the house. He had a radio in his kitchen, and he would turn it on. It was usually tuned to the local news station there in Lima, Ohio. And I remember, I remember as a little boy asking, Grandpa, why do you do that? And I remember his answer. 
He would, he would tell me, well, 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 son, he would say, when we're gone, there's no one here. And he said, if someone wanted to come into this home, if somebody wanted to do something in this home, and they heard the radio, they might think someone is home. And so that's why I leave the radio on. I never thought of it. That was pretty clever. As we got older, as we got over, man, he, he took things to another, he took things to another level. He had these little rods that, uh, that he had bought somewhere, and he had propped those rods behind the, behind the door so that if someone was trying to force the door open, the rod was there, and it would keep them from getting any further. They'd have to break the deadbolt, and then they'd have to break the door down. And then, the, I mean, it would have been a real challenge, and of course, he would have woken up a, ahead of time. And so he was really into protecting his home. He took it very seriously. And I have to respect a man like that. I think so should you. It's usually the house that appears to be empty with everyone either gone or sleeping soundly inside that is the house in which if someone were going to do something, they would break into that house. Abraham here appears to assume a position that puts himself in the best possible place to protect and to watch over his family should someone mean to do them harm. And I just have to say, we have to respect a man like that. He's sitting in, in the front porch. He's watching over his land and over his property. He's aware of what's happening in the surrounding area so that if someone comes and someone means to do them harm, he is the first line of defense. Abraham is protective of his home. But notice, secondly, Abraham is not only protective of his home, but he is a servant in his home. In verse number two, the Bible says that he sees these guests as he sits in the tent door in the heat of the day and notice verse 2 and he lift up his eyes and looked and lo three men stood by him and when he saw them he ran to meet them from the tent door and bowed himself toward the ground because Abraham had been visited by the Lord before it did not take Abraham long to recognize these men were not normal earthly human visitors but these men were heavenly guests, heavenly visitors. And think about this, though it was the heat of the day, a time in which most people were resting, were assuming a position of rest, Abraham, when he sees these guests and he recognizes who they are, the Bible says that at 100 years of age that he runs to greet these men, that he bows himself before them on the ground, displaying his absolute humility. And then in verse, verses 3 and beyond, he begs them to stay a little while so that he could serve them properly what would be customary or what would be custom for those who had guests in their home on a particular day in this culture in which he lived. He told them, I have plans to wash your feet and to feed you if you're willing to give me the opportunity. Understand, listen, Abraham was a man of great hospitality. According to Hebrews chapter 13 and verse number 2, the Bible says, be not forgetful to entertain strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unaware. I don't know how common this happens. I don't know how often this happens. I don't even know if it's ever happened to me. But I've heard people tell stories in the past about meeting someone, and there just seemed to be something mysterious. And when that person, that encounter was over, that person was just sort of gone. It's like, I don't even know where they went. Maybe they were there to, to help for just a moment. And, and Abraham lives out this particular uh, verse, this particular scriptural admonition, in that he bends over backwards to take care of them. And, and, and we, of course, believe that he knew that these were heavenly visitors. But regardless of whether he did or he didn't, uh, you just never know. Listen, you never know who's walking down your street. You never know who's going to walk in the door of your church on any given Sunday. 
You never know who you're going to encounter at the grocery store or at the park or at the library or wherever it is that you do your daily business. You just never know. And the Bible says that we ought to be, we ought to be really vigilant as God's people to treat everyone with love and kindness and respect because you just never know when it might be that you're the one called upon to entertain maybe even an angel. You don't know it in the moment. You may never even know it here on this earth. Maybe you'll find out someday entertaining angels unawares. These men that were these heavenly visitors, they agreed to wait while Abraham uh, continues his running. And if, we don't have time to read all the text, but you'll find that Abraham, he runs to greet his visitors. He bows down. He says, please stay a little while. I beg of you, stay here so that I can serve you properly. And when they agreed to stay, then he gets up and he runs back to the house and he finds his wife there and he asks her to bake fresh bread on the oven for him. And, and not, not something that's been around for a little while. No, these are a heavenly guests. They deserve the very best. And when he's done in the kitchen with his wife, then he runs to where his herd is and he, uh, he finds a, a, a calf that is young and tender the Bible says and he selects that particular calf and he gives it to a young person and says hey listen I want you to dress this and then he goes and he gathers butter and milk and, and, he, and he serves these men this, this, this giant feast and then we see him in verse number 9 while these men are eating the Bible says that Abraham stands nearby under the shade of a tree with the idea or the intent that if they need anything else he is standing at the ready he is waiting to serve them. No, Abraham's a servant. And I got to thinking as I was studying this, though Abraham, Abraham had servants, many of them, he was not above being a servant. Perhaps maybe we ought to let this thought sink in for just a moment. No matter how high you might rise in your life and in your career, there will always be places and people that you can and should serve. You should, never, you should never be above picking up a vacuum cleaner and running a vacuum. You should never be above bending over and picking up a piece of paper on the ground. You should never be above helping someone with something, whether it be carrying in a heavy load or, or maybe just going alongside of them and trying to encourage them and trying to give them strength. Listen, I, I don't care what your title is at work, and I don't care how much money you have in your bank account, and I don't care how many people are under you. Never get to a point where you feel like, I no longer need to serve. Abraham was a great man. Hey, how about this? Never get to a stage in life where you think I don't have to serve. How old is Abraham in this text? As far as we know, he's about 100. 100-year-old men typically are kind of sitting back and saying, you know, really, I can't do a whole lot anymore. People need to be serving me. But the truth of the matter is, as long as you have breath to breathe, you ought to be working diligently. You ought to be serving. You ought to be looking for a place that you can serve the Lord. Never buy into this false narrative that says that you can arrive at an age or you can arrive at a stage in life where you no longer have a responsibility to serve. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 4, 5, for we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord and ourselves your servants. Your servants. This is the great apostle Paul. He says we count ourselves your servants for Jesus' sake. 1 Corinthians 12, 15, the Bible says, and I will very gladly spend and be spent for you, though the more abundantly I love you, the less I be loved. You know what the Apostle Paul is saying? Paul is saying, listen, I, I give everything up, every title, every, every thought, every idea. I give it all up so that I can serve. Even if it means that I serve more and more and you serve less and less, I am willing to do whatever is necessary to be a servant. Be a servant in your home. 
Sometimes as men, we get this idea, well, this is my home, and it's going to be the way that I want it to be. And I'm just here to tell you, listen, as men, as men, we're called upon to serve in our homes. Abraham served in his home, but notice thirdly, not only was he protective of his home, and he was a servant in his home, but notice that he was accountable for his home. Would you look at me in verse number nine? Verse number nine, the Bible says, and they said unto him, these heavenly visitors, where is Sarah thy wife? And he said, behold, in the tent. Abraham is asked by the Lord, where is your wife? I remember growing up and being a young boy and learning this sort of snarky, sarcastic comment. Somebody asked me, hey, where's your brother? And I'd look back at them. I said, well, I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? Trying to be all funny and clever. You know, I would never say that to an adult, but I certainly would say that to some of my brother's friends. You know, maybe people my age. I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? We laugh about that, and that's something that maybe is a little bit humorous to us. But, but, but can, I, can I tell you that, that that wasn't Abraham's response here. When the Lord asked, hey, where's, where's Sarah, your wife? He didn't respond with, well, I don't know where she is. Am I my wife's keeper? No, in fact, when, when he's asked, where is Sarah, your wife? The Bible says without hesitation, he knows exactly where she is. He knows what she's doing. Uh, he, knows, he knows what her schedule is and what's happening in her, her life. Why? Because Abraham was accountable for his home. He was a leader in his home. He knew where his family was and what his family was doing at any given time. And this led me to think this question, and, and, and I, and I want to ask, ask all of us, do you know, do you know where your family is? Now, I, I don't want you to give me an answer geographically or physically. Because some of you, you can get all sarcastic with me and say, yeah, she's sitting next to me. Where she always is on Sunday morning. Yeah, my, my little boy, he's over in the child care facilities. He's being watched. He's, he's learning about Jesus. Yeah, my school-aged children, they're in the fellowship hall. They're being ministered to by loving, loving children's workers who love them. Yeah, my, my parents, they, uh, they're, they're here, and, and, and I know they're probably in the, No, when I say, do you know where your family is, I mean this. Do you know where your family is spiritually? Do you know where your family is relationally? Do you know where your family is financially even? Do you know where they are mentally? Do you know where your family is? It's a good question for us to ask. See, some of you, you have children that have long since left your home. Do you know where they are? Don't give me the answer. Well, yeah, they live on you know, such, such avenue and such and such town. Here's their zip code. And if you want, I've got their phone number. If you want to text them. No, no, I'm saying, do you know where they are? Do you know how they're doing? Do you know the struggles that they're facing? If the Lord were to ask you today, could you give an answer immediately? Or is there some doubt? Or has it been a while since you've touched base with them that you've checked in on them? You say, well, I don't like some of the choices and some of the decisions that they've made. Well, guess what? I don't like some of the choices and some of the decisions I've made myself. I don't give up on me. Don't give up on them. Do you know where your family is? You're accountable for your home. I understand that they get to a point where they're no longer living under your roof. They make their own choices and their own decisions. I get all of that. I understand all of that. But I think you've got at least a responsibility to maintain a good relationship with them once they've left your home so that you can continue to minister to them. Hey, hey how about this? Do you, do you know where your family is so that you can pray for them? I mean, if I don't know, if I don't know the things that they're, sometimes ignorance is bliss. I don't want to know. No, I think you should want to know. 
Because that gives you, that gives you some, something in your arsenal that you're going to be praying for them about. Do you know where your family is? I love that about it. Do you know where your wife is? Abram, where is Sarah, thy wife? Behold, she's in the tent. I know exactly where she's at. I know what she's doing. She's there all the time. I mean, he was speaking geographically. He was speaking physically. But, but I think there's a greater truth here. I think he understood. I think he understood what was happening in her life. He understood some of her heart's longings and desires, some things that he wanted to be able to give her that he had not been able to give her yet. He got all of those things. He knew what a burden those things were. Do you know where your family is? Good question. That's Abraham in his home. A great glimpse. He's protective. He's a servant. And he's accountable. But notice, secondly, we discover God's assessment of Abraham in his home. We read it at the very beginning of our time together. It's found in verse number 19. We see that God says some specific things about Abraham. And before he, before he says those things, we discover that the, 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 the angels, the heavenly visitors, they've now eaten. They've spent some time with Abraham. They've said some things. This series is about Abraham, and so we're sort of going to skip over the conversation that they have with Sarah, but you know the familiar passage of Scripture in which they remind Abraham, so long as she's within earshot, she needs to hear this. At this point in time, she's going to have a child. The Bible says that she laughed. When God said, why did you laugh? She said, oh, I, I didn't laugh. But God said, no, you, you did laugh. And see, God doesn't miss anything. God knows even the, even the thoughts and the intents of our hearts. But as we move on, we find that these heavenly visitors are preparing to leave. And the conversation, the mood sort of begins to shift. It sort of begins to turn. You see, at this point in time, two of these angels, these heavenly visitors, are going to depart from the third one, and they're going to begin to take a journey towards Sodom. The third heavenly visitor, I believe, to be the Lord Jesus Christ himself. I believe this is a Christophany. This is a pre-incarnate appearance of Jesus Christ here on this earth. This is Jesus taking on flesh and, and communicating. We see several of these in the Old Testament, and I believe this is one of them. And as these visitors begin to get ready to leave with plans to destroy Sodom for its sinful wickedness, the Lord sort of has a little conversation with the, with the two others, the two angels, and he says, can we, can we really hide? Can we really hide what we're getting ready to do here? Can we hide this from Abraham, seeing he is who he is? Don't you suppose that we ought to make Abraham aware of what we're getting ready to do? And listen, the reason that God wished to confide these things in Abraham, I believe seems to be based on several factors. Number one, I believe it's based on the fact that Abraham was with God. Would you look in verse number 16? The Bible says, And the men rose up from thence and looked toward Sodom, and Abraham went with them to bring them on the way. It's sort of like Abraham is saying, No, I don't want you to leave. I don't want you to go anywhere. I like having you in my home. I'm perfectly content for you to remain here. Don't, don't leave me. They're on their way to continue their part of their journey. They're going towards Sodom, and Abraham is walking with them. I suppose if Abraham said, all right, well, I'm going to clean up, and you guys head on your way, there would not have been an opportunity for them to confide in Abraham what they were getting ready to do. But here's what I've discovered. You stay close to the Lord, and you can get in on God's program. You can get in on what God is getting ready to do. God is more than happy to confide some things in you of what he's doing here in this world. He's more than able to take these scriptures and to illuminate them in your life so that you can get a better, closer idea of what God is doing in this world. But notice not only did he confide this in Abraham because he was with him, but secondly, I believe, because Abraham was in a covenant relationship with God. Verse number 18, shouldn't we tell Abraham? 
seeing that Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. You want to know what God's doing in this world? You want to know what God, you want to know God's plan for your life? The starting point, the starting point is covenant relationship with him. The starting point is yielding your heart and life to him, giving him ownership of your life and allowing him to make the choices and decisions uh, to guide you, to lead you in your life. I believe it's in those moments we get close to God and we get with God and we stay near him and we're in covenant relationship with him that he begins to shine more light on what he's doing in this world. And then notice there's a third thought I find is because I believe that Abraham's family would be affected by what he was getting ready to do. In verse number 19, God talks about his children, the children of his household. You'll discover that there's a member of Abraham's family that's living in this city of called Sodom. His name is Lot. Lot's presence in Sodom, it stands in direct contrast with Abraham's family and home and the way that they conducted themselves. In essence, God is saying to these two angels, shouldn't we let him know because what we're getting ready to do is going is to really make an impact on his nephew who's living down in that city. Don't you suppose we ought to bring him up to speed on what's getting ready to happen? I think to myself that Lot's living in a place that Abraham would never, would never have lived. Because, a God, listen, a, a truly godly man who's walking with the Lord, who's in covenant relationship with God, would, wouldn't live in a place like Sodom. No, that, wicked, that wickedness would, would, would weigh on. The Bible says about Lot that he vexed his righteous soul daily in that place. He should never have been there. Abraham would never have lived there. Abraham, Abraham wanted nothing to do with Sodom. You remember when he came back from that battle? And remember the king said, hey, listen, you can keep all the spoils. And Abraham said, I've made a vow. I've made a vow. I don't want anyone ever to say that you or anyone else has made me rich. If I'm rich today, it's because God has blessed me. Abraham wanted no part, wanted no part of, of, that, of that worldly scene and what was happening there. And God, God goes on to reveal some things in this text about Abraham in his home that God knew. And before we get to these thoughts, I want to remind you, I want to remind you of something. And that is this, God knows about your home and your life too. God knows exactly what's happening in your home. See, see we, can, we convince ourselves and we content ourselves with the thought that, well, yeah, we're tolerating some things. Our marriage isn't right. Our relationship with our children isn't right. There's a lot of anger. There's a lot of bitterness in our home. We're, we're carrying a lot of baggage. But, but you know, we, we can kind of hide all of that when we come to the church house. And you can. You can hide all of that when you come to the church house. But listen, you can never hide all of that before God. God knows. God knows. There were some things, there's some, he, says, he says about Abraham, he says, I know him. I know him. I know how he conducts himself in his home. I know that his home is a place in which these things are present. Notice, notice what he says about Abraham's leadership. Father Abraham, his leadership in his home. First of all, he says, number one, he has control over his home. Well, he says in verse number 19, for I know him that he will command his children and his household after him. You know, either, either you're going to be in control of your home or your children are going to be in control of your home. There's, there's little to no middle ground here. By the way, if you're going to be in control of your home, you better establish that early on. And what I say, what I say goes in this place. This is not a, this is not a dictatorial type of thing. 
Now, this is servant leadership. Remember, we've already, we've already established Abraham is serving in his home. Abraham's not pounding his fist. He's not beating on his table, nor is he beating on his children. But we, but we see here that Abraham has the ability to be able to command his home and his children. And I find, I find in a lot of homes today, the children are in control. Children are calling the shots. Whatever, they, whatever the child wants is what the child gets and what happens the children decide where and when the family worships. No, we, we, we don't want to go to church today. All right, we'll all stay home. Or how about this? We don't like that church anymore. The youth group's not as friendly. You know, we, 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 we want this, we want that. All of my friends are here. And the children make the decision where and when the family is going to worship. No, that's mom and dad's choice. One of these days, the children grow up and they'll become adults of their own. They can make that decision. But at this point in time, we're going to worship where, where, where we believe the Lord would have us to worship and when we believe the Lord would have us to worship. Children decide. The children decide where they're going to go to school. You know, I don't like that school anymore. I don't like this teacher. This teacher has it out for me. You know what I, you know what I think? I think every teacher had it out for me when I was in school. Sort of how it works. Because I was a knucklehead. And the teacher was in place to help me change and to help me transform. But you know what? In my mind, I thought they all hated me. I thought they were all there to make my life miserable. Why? Because I had some shaping up to do. Can you imagine if I'd have gone home, said to my parents, that teacher doesn't like me. I want to go to a different school. I never had that conversation with my parents. It would not have gone very well. But I find there's a lot of kids that can kind of call those shots. I don't want to go here anymore. I don't like it here. I want to go somewhere else. I want to do something else. A lot of children are in command of their home. Children determine what's going to be served for dinner. Man, that one's hitting close to home. I better, I better move on, you know. The Lord's convicting me here. We'll sit down. This is what we're eating. My kids, oh, I want this and I want that. I'll tell you what my parents used to say. When they're hungry, they'll eat. Right? <laughs> I'm just simply saying, a lot, of, a lot of homes, the kids are in charge. Kids are in control. Kids are in control when and what chores are going to be done. I mean, the list goes on and on. And I just want to remind you, that's not pleasing to the Lord. When God, when God looks at Abraham's home, he says there's something impressive about this home, and that is this, that he has command of his home. He has, he has an essence in which he's leading his home, and his children are following him. Abraham, Abraham led his home first by example. Notice, notice what it says there in verse number 19, that he, has, he will command his children and his household after him. See, there's a, lot of, there's a lot of people that want to do, sort of do this leadership style of do as I say, not as I do. Our kids are smarter than that. And our kids can see right through those sorts of things. Now listen, Abraham was not asking his children to do anything that he was not first willing to do. We think about family worship. We think about worshiping as a family, where and when and how we're going to worship. And we discover that every step along the way, when Abraham would get to a new location, what would he do? He'd build an altar. In other words, he wasn't asking his children, you build an altar, and he wasn't willing to build one. No, Abraham, Abraham was, was, was real. He was genuine. He was authentic. He commanded his children and his wife after him. In other words, I've already set the example. Now follow me. Not do as I say, not as I do, but do as I do. I'm living in a way that is pleasing to the Lord, therefore, follow me. Oh, that's so very key. Too many parents want to order their home with that leadership style of sort of do as I say, not as I do. And I can tell you that's so insufficient. It will never work. 
The one who is ordering and commanding the home must first be able to order and command his own life, and Abraham seems capable of doing that. Notice, secondly, he leads his home to follow God and his word. Look at the end of verse number 19. For I know him that he will command his children's household after him, and they shall keep the way of the Lord to do justice and judgment. The Lord was confident that Abraham was and would continue to lead his home to keep the way of the Lord. The way of the Lord is clearly revealed for us in his word. Listen, here's the question. Is God as confident that you will lead your family to keep his way as he was that Abraham would? Men here in this room, it is our responsibility to lead our homes to follow God's word and his ways. Many men have left their wives to fulfill this role. I'm praying the Lord would fill Cleveland Baptist Church with men who lead their home into closer obedience to God's word. I love Joshua 1, 8, but this book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night, that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein, for then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. The way of the Lord. Are you following the way of the Lord in your home? Have your children been given an opportunity to follow the way of the Lord? The way of the Lord begins, listen, with repentance and confession and salvation. It begins with the new birth, but there's so much, so much more beyond just the new birth. And parents, don't be just satisfied with making sure that your kids are saved. Work, work to disciple your children. Work to raise them up in the things of God so that they know the Bible and so they know what the Bible teaches and what the Bible says. It's not sufficient to say, well, we've always done it this way. Teach them. Teach them. The, the book of the law, don't let it depart out of your mouth, but meditate on it daily. And then you'll find good success. Notice thirdly and finally, we've discovered not only Abraham and his home, we looked at God's assessment of Abraham and his home, but notice thirdly and lastly, Abraham's heart for family living outside of his home. Would you look in verse number 20? And the Lord said, because the cry of Sodom and Gomorrah is great and because their sin is very grievous, I will go down now and see whether they have done together, altogether according to the cry of it which is coming to me. And if not, I will know. And the men turned their faces from thence and went toward Sodom. But Abraham stood yet before the Lord. And Abraham drew near and said, wilt thou also destroy the righteous with the wicked? Here's what, here's, what, here's what Abraham knew. Abraham was carrying a burden. And that burden was, God's telling him, I'm getting ready to destroy Sodom. And Abraham's saying, hold on a minute, there's somebody I love in Sodom. I got to thinking about this. I thought, I thought to myself about Abraham's heart that God not destroy Sodom. And I, I began to compare and contrast that with Jonah's heart. You know, when Jonah heard what God was going to do in Nineveh, he celebrated. He was like, wipe them out. I'm good with that. I don't like them anyways. And I thought to myself, you know, I feel like in some respects there's a lot of Christians who behave that way. We start talking about the judgment of God and we start thinking about the vile crowd, that sort of that repugnant crowd that sort of is sort of on the scene today and they're making a lot of noise. And we start to think about judgment. In some respects, we've almost developed this attitude, the spirit of Sure, God, do whatever you want to with them. They deserve it. I want you to compare that. I want you to compare that with Abraham. And then I want you to compare that with the Lord Jesus Christ. You know what the Bible says? The Bible says towards the end of his ministry that Jesus stood on a mountaintop overlooking the city of Jerusalem and he wept over it. Because he knew, listen, he knew the judgment. Listen, these were the people, these were the people that were going to take him in the next few days and they were going to crucify him. 
And yet Jesus wasn't saying, Lord, Lord, pour out your wrath upon them. Pour out your destruction upon them. That wasn't his attitude at all. Why? Because Jesus had a heart for souls. Too many times you and I, we start to hear about the judgment of God. And our attitude is, well, so long as we're not going to be here, I'm good with it. Lord, pour out your wrath. And in reality, in reality, our heart and our spirit ought to be, Lord, help us to reach these people. Help us to win these people to Christ so that they can avoid this themselves. Abraham, do you remember in chapter number 17, his cry, when God came and revealed him the details of the covenant, his cry was, what about Ishmael? You know what, when God comes to him in Genesis 18, and he says, I'm going to destroy Sodom, you know what Abraham's cry was in that chapter? It's, what about Lot? You see, we find faithful intercession. We discover, first of all, Abraham intercedes for his family living outside of his home. Abraham, he begins in the, in the early part of this particular text. He says, Lord, if you can find 50 righteous people there, will, will you refrain from destroying it? In Abraham's mind, he's thinking, surely Lot's presence in that city has resulted in at least 50 people being made righteous. And God says, sure, I, I'll, I'll spare him for 50. But Abraham knows there's not 50 righteous people there. You see, you see righteous people make an impact on a community. A righteous people help a community. And Abraham whittles it down. He says, okay, Lord, well, we both know there's probably not 50. But Lord, if there's 45, I won't destroy it for 45. Lord, if there's, if there's 40, I won't destroy it for 40. If there's 30, I mean, he just keeps going. We see not only that Abraham intercedes for his family living outside of his home, but Abraham refuses to give up interceding for his family living outside of his home. They eventually get down to 10. Lord, if there's 10... Do you know how many righteous souls were living in Sodom? Four. Lot and his wife and his two daughters. And I suppose we could, all, we could all sit back and we could really discern and decide whether those were really righteous people or not based on some of the decisions and some of the choices they would make following this particular evacuation. But there were four people who were pulled out of Sodom before the judgment of God fell. And they were pulled out, listen, they were pulled out because there was a man who was faithful to intercede. A man who refused to give up. And I think what God is calling some of us in this room to do is to fall on our faces before him and to never give up. Never give up until the Lord takes us home. I'm given to understand and a man that many of you be familiar with. His name was George Mueller. George Mueller was a faithful man, very faithful, led, led a group of orphans in the city of Bristol, England a couple hundred years ago. I'm given to understand that George Mueller prayed for four friends for many, many decades. Prayed specifically that they'd be saved. He, he, he died with all four of them still lost and without Christ. But he was faithful to pray for them. I'm given to understand one of them was saved at his funeral. And I'm given to understand that before each of those four men died, all of them made a public profession of their faith, trusting the Lord Jesus Christ. And most would say it's because George Mueller was faithful to pray he'd pray this what about what about this person lord what about this person what about this lord would you save them lord would you do in their heart and life what you've done in my heart and in my life we find a consistent theme here he intercedes for ishmael in verse chapter 17 he intercedes for lot in chapter number 18 this is father abraham this is who he was in his home and this is what he did for those living outside of his home 
Some of you, you carry a heavy burden for children that are living outside of your home. They're no, they're no longer in your home for you to be able to shape and transform and to, and to work with and to help. But listen, that doesn't mean that your job is done. You have a responsibility to intercede for them. And may you, may you do so and may you refuse. May you refuse to give up no matter, no matter what the circumstances are.